0: Welcome to No Cheese Talk. This is Walter again and Nathan, and we're bringing you the fourth episode.
1: So That's right, the fourth episode. Didn't think we'd make it this far, uh, but here we are. And let me tell you, it's not getting any easier. No, no, but
0: uh, actually we always find something to talk about, so that's what keeps us going.
1: Yeah, and uh, this time we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to our topic, uh, less about... Uh, Politics and geopolitics in themselves, and now will be a little more uh, what you could call ideological.
0: Yeah, yeah, but we promised there will be some politics involved. Don't worry. So, no. uh, actually, the topic that we are we were thinking about before we planned this episode is uh, China banning the video games,
1: and it's very interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I could, to explain China, uh, well, banned video games, or at least. Limited it to three hours a week for children under the age of 18, mm-hmm. and this I guess was seen pretty significant because it was all over the news anyway. But it's it's kind of interesting why one why it's, it became so important for us or interesting for us to to hear it, and also why China would go through the effort to to do this in particular, of all the things that they could do. Why ban Video games. Yeah, it seems from afar uh, that
0: they hate people having fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's what, that what made it resonate with us uh, in the West uh, so much. But I think we have a hard time understanding what this means, because an invasion of personal space like this by the state is something we couldn't even imagine. Yeah, it makes no sense, given our experience of the role of the state in our lives. But still, this leaves the question, why ban games in particular? Why would China go through the effort of doing this? I mean, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I think we have to start by assuming that it actually does make sense if we look at it from different angles, right? So uh, it's very easy to say that uh, it's stupid, but I would say that actually... There's something that uh, reflects more on our society. So let's take any regime that uh, could perceive any immersion in another reality as a threat. So we know that every society is built on some fundamental uh, concepts that constitute the reality. And by having people getting so immersed in another reality, it's very possible that whoever is in power feels like they're losing hold of their people i mean it's not that uh, people believe in the games that they're playing right so nobody thinks they are a level 10 warrior fighting in the forest nothing like that (laughs) but uh, there's something that could be different which is being shown by the game so there is a new structure, a new economy, a new way of interacting with other people, and this is existing yeah. in a different structure. So, people yeah. exist in a reality which actually is not part of the the, the state's reality.
1: Exactly. Well, I, on the I guess on the uh, uh, more abstract level, sure, but at the same time, there is also the official excuse given, the official reason given. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is pretty funny. So on the one level, of course, there's health, but that's true in the U.S. or in Europe. The same level how it affects the development of children. And then there's also this um, there's also this aspect of addiction, which they meant, uh, mentioned, and particularly drew a reference to the Opium War and the Opium Crisis in China. That's
0: very intense. Uh, which
1: is <laughs> yeah, they really pulled out the big guns with that one. <laughs> Uh, also, I guess this is coming more from the mm, mm, socialist or communist uh, underpinnings of their argument. They considered it uh, unproductive and individualistic and self-indulgent. <clears throat> uh, but I, I wonder beyond, beyond the, uh, the, the obvious reasons why gaming is problematic, what are the more mm-hmm. ideological reasons? You started to, to mention them earlier.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, at face value, it seems uh, very simple that the state is protecting the people from false reality, right? And obviously gamers see it the other way. But mm -hmm. I would here propose that uh, we look at ideology in a different manner because we usually see it as this uh, uh, colored glass through which we see reality. There are different ideologies and uh, through them we see the world in a different way. So it well, seems hold, like hold on, hold
1: on. So, yeah. so you, well, from most the most common understanding of ideology would be something like the difference between fascism, um, democracy, or uh, communism, capitalism, maybe. So this is in opposition to those uh, those definitions.
0: Exactly, like, and uh, how it happens is usually that uh, from whichever ideology we're speaking from we think of any other kind of reality as being something imposed on the people and they cannot see the truth without us right yeah so we have to kind of help them out emancipate them liberate them and that's how it goes but uh we can start to look at it in a different way by which it's not that there's some false reality some uh, doctrine that's coming from a manipulator up above uh, telling us how to think or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's more of a symbolic reality that we are always in. And it's tricky because it determines what we think of as being obvious and what is real. So uh, many people uh, like to refer to the matrix, you know, you are enslaved or Plato's cave. There are these slaves and they don't see what's true and they have to be liberated from it. But... Uh, we can look at it in a different way that is that we always have to exist in a matrix. So it's not ideology
1: as- if ideology is functioning as this matrix which tells you what's real and what's not. Exactly exactly. Well, I think it could be argued at this point um, that there is a problem that there is a problem of false realities even in liberal democracies at the same time as uh, I guess authoritarian system or communist uh, ideology. But what do you think? Uh, how do you think this problem is treated differently in China? What makes it different uh, in that context?
0: Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. How is it that uh, China reacts to this alternate reality as a threat, whereas here we seem to be doing very fine, you know, with, without uh, having to ban games, and there are so many people that play games. And I think it's the main difference is how we actually relate to the aspect of transgression. By that I mean how social order reacts to people who do not conform to the social ideals. So uh, in liberalism, we have uh, the individual and the state who are separate from each other. And so the individual always has to identify itself as being separate from the state. And in more authoritarian True. systems there is the state which is supposed to uh, embody and reflect everything and everyone
1: yeah so it's coming from um more of a collective uh view of um society that it's not a society of individuals necessarily that the ultimate good that the the, the unit is the collective but as an authoritarian state, I think we can look at like the the development of China's authoritarianism, and I think the, the one of the big changing points was in the 1990s. Of course, like in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, which put a nail in the nail in the coffin of uh, communism as a competing global ideology, and this is reflected actually in in law in China. Um, There was a change, I think it was in 1992 initially, uh, when they got rid of um, legal definitions of um, uh, of being a rightist or uh, of uh, being counter-revolutionary because those are really old terms uh, which are deeply embedded in in the communist revolution. Uh, And it was replaced, that that idea of ideology being the, the high point was replaced by the state itself. It was. It's no longer about the, the, the grand vision of, of communism. It's about the power of the state and by extension, the power of the party, which being a one-party state, it's they're quite similar. And now what you have is uh, the, 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 the main political crime is subverting the state. It's not subverting the ideology anymore. It's only about the state.
0: Yeah, and so with noting these differences, systems. Then... We still have to admit that they all exist in a spectrum. So any mm-hmm. system tries to claim some collectivity and any system has some form of restrictions. But sure. the, the more authoritarian a system is, the more it is threatened by transgressions. Because obviously it's the will of the people that is being broken. So uh, every crime is a political crime. Whereas, uh, as we know, in a more yeah. liberal system... Actually, transgressions are part of the social rituals. And this is an yeah. important part. And this is why games are perceived differently. It's because we are actually invited to transgress the system. And this sound, might sound like it's a counterintuitive in, idea. In, and,
1: in, the, in the West, you mean where we are invited uh, exactly. to uh, transgress. Yes.
0: And it's a counterintuitive idea. Uh, and that's why we don't actually think it cannot be like this. But I would say that it is. So let's look at the West Vis a gaming not being threatening. Well, first of all, there is a yeah. market for it. So
1: cool. Yeah, and that, that, <laughs> that plays to uh, this sort of, the idea of the, of the individual consumer uh, as, as, as functioning
0: in that society. Exactly. While you're consuming, you are practicing your identity, you might say. And uh, it's also a, a locus for pacification. You have people who yeah. are happy playing video games instead of participating in any dissident thoughts, for example.
1: Well, it seems to work here. I mean, uh, we like to think of, uh, of of games as being a freedom that we have or a freedom we could enjoy. But there's also this other aspect that it does. The more you play, the less you engage with actual problems. But that seems like it's something that could work in China's state favor as well. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's totally true. And uh, that's why I would think there is a third reason uh, that games work very well for the West, but not for China, precisely due to uh, the West having this structure, which is based on an individual transgressing the strong arm of the law. So uh, this requires some explanation to make, but uh, I can start by saying that in the West, we actually have a a culture of counterculture.
1: Yeah, but I I think we can break this down even further uh, and look at it as a relationship to taboos in society. Because a taboo, different than just a transgression, generally, a taboo has this element of immorality, which isn't something that's relative Mm -hmm. in this case, because it's something which people actually do believe is wrong. And so it, it's not only a question of something being illegal at the same time, transgression can be illegal, but something illegal isn't necessarily morally wrong. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, we can look at like um, the way that weed smoking or underage drinking, in some countries anyway, it's illegal, but it's also morally acceptable. It's understandable, kids are gonna be kids, teenage revolution, counterculture, like you mentioned. Yep. But this kind of tolerance doesn't translate so well into authoritarian systems, because in that case, transgression is also mixed with this idea of taboo in that it's, uh, that it, that it's immoral on some level, that people should be morally averse to it. Um, and then transgression becomes something evil, uh, something that can't be accepted as a counterculture like it is so easily here in Europe or in the US. Because in the authoritarian system, there's no redeeming quality to to the transgression, and it should and it should be rejected by society completely. Again, leaving no room for a counterculture, um, for tolerance, and, I, and this is, I think, because it threatens or undermines the unity of the central and moral, uh, the central moral and legal authority that the state has to represent in this case. But in a liberal democracy. Uh, the states has this connotation of being the the, the evil uh, in society. It it, it's it overreaches, yeah. It overreaches into our lives, um, but and we have to unite against this uh, this oppression that we all definitely experience. Um, but the system then it still lives through our transgressions. It lives through our uh, transgressions against the state.
0: Now, I think actually the word taboo is a good choice in this case because uh, it's not as if all the restrictions can be transgressed at the same time. It is rather about something that becomes a sticky subject. So we all start uh, riling up against a particular thing that's happening and the debate stirs because of this. And suddenly what starts to grow is actually a situation where we can fulfill this ideological demand for transgression but it Mm -hmm. all uh, pinpoints a particular topic, right? So we keep doing this to the point that we become so politically engaged that uh, we put most of the other causes and transgressions practically on hold. So that's why we don't actually undermine the system. We just rebel because of something that's happening. So with a few transgressions at a time, the system can survive and actually evolve and it keeps reproducing itself, while at the same time the the protesting subjects feel as if they are liberating themselves. You know, that kind of like in a game, we pass one level by transgressing some challenge and then we move on to the next. So it's a virtual progression of gaining rights and freedom. And, taboos therefore become the straw man that we can progressively attack to win against the system and the the funny part is that while we're doing so we are actually fulfilling the ideological obligation that we should be transgressing that we should be uh, fighting against the man
1: yeah we feel like there's always some progress being made that something's getting better yeah. Even if it's just a distraction from maybe something that's more important, but you could look at the example of, of drugs, for instance, as a sort of false flag. Maybe, I mean, it, it's important as well, but it started out where there was the strict resistance. It was very uh, illegal and it wasn't uh, tolerated, even um, even in counterculture. It was it was oppressed. But then you have this uh this growing desire or this growing this growth of it is a taboo which um, is there to be uh transgressed right and there was then this normalization of the of, of smoking weed through counterculture and media it, it, and it became kind of a farce that it was illegal because I every mean, everyone knows that everybody does it it doesn't it's not about class it's not about um, uh, education just, it's a normal thing that people do. Uh,
0: To the point that you have uh, stoners chasing ghosts with Scooby-Doo, and (laughs) it seems like pretty much something you see every day.
1: Yeah, even with like, you know, on a children's show or whatever, there's this connotation. Uh, But also, and I think a lot of that had to do with it becoming a statement of autonomy and resistance, even if it in itself is completely benign, because obviously smoking a joint doesn't have anything to do with actually resisting the government or any,
0: um, any Yeah, uh, just,
1: as it's much, just as
0: much as it doesn't have anything to do with uh, destroying social order as well. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's banned it's, yeah. for ideological reasons, and then the people, uh, they transgress that restriction for the same ideological reason.
1: Yeah, but uh, the, the problem, well, no, the problem comes here, I think, that once this transgression becomes blatantly, Obvious, like it, it's something that it, it's completely illogical to keep it illegal because you know that it's it's you know it's it's just a lie that it's unacceptable socially. It's too mm-hmm. widespread. So once the where there reaches this critical mass of inconsistency between reality and the law, all of a sudden you have it incorporated into the law, and then central authority kind of readjusts to reflect the 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 reality that grew up around it. But then of course, like you said. Once one taboo is gone, there has to be another to replace it because there always needs to be this struggle and this sort of idea of progression to some greater future, some more equal society.
0: Yeah. So in this cycle of uh, uh, repression and transgression, uh, we keep on fulfilling this ideological demand. And it is in the sense that earlier I said uh, we, we still exist in a matrix uh, necessarily. We cannot exit it to find reality. We always have to be in one. And it is in the sense that our matrix is not imposed by some elite who are feeding us a fantasy or lies. There's no central planning for ideology. It's just that the system persists in this, uh, let's say, mutual relation with with us, the subject. So We can make political demands. We can protest against uh, whatever is being imposed upon us. We can even ridicule the government. We can even say that uh, society is just a social construct and that uh, nothing is real. But it doesn't really matter. But it doesn't really matter because what actually does matter is that we still keep on participating in these rituals. And these rituals yeah. materialize in the existence of our system.
1: Yeah. We, we go through the motions every day, whether or not we believe in what we're doing or not. Precisely. On some degree.
0: Yeah. So therefore, the, the social order can be described as uh, virtual on many accounts as well, just as much as in the game, no? So uh, just as much as the, the gamer doesn't really believe that the game is true, But the gamers still keep on playing and participating in it.
1: They must get some sort of enjoyment.
0: Exactly. And we enjoy ideology in that way. So uh, here I would like to present two dystopias with regards to gaming. So uh, the the easy one to to imagine is this authoritarian system, uh, the obvious regime that seeks to control everything uh, and an official narrative. And so gaming is banned, right? There can be no place for an alternate reality. But the, the other kind of dystopia that I can imagine is uh, where, in a system where uh, gaming culture grows to such incredible proportions that actually the system adopts this game by gamifying its demands. So every kind of uh, material practice that we do in society starts to be done through the game. So for example. Hmm. Uh, companies create these virtual worst workspaces within the game where people have avatars and they uh, there's a structure of goals and achievements and leveling up and uh, I don't know magic crystals that you can exchange for special avatars and powers and so on so uh, by the stretch of imagination we can see a form of matrix materializing uh, inside this game so by transgressing society so much, then that new transgression becomes actually the reality. And although this seems like a dystopia, something very far-fetched, we can still see signs of it. For example, something like Facebook, which is a virtual reality and it started as uh, you know this virtual place where people can uh, chat with each other and see each other's photos. But now it's ha- it has totally dominated so many aspects of our lives. It has also determined election outcomes. So we don't actually know how to control it. And at some point we might even say, let's just embrace it and we will not have any say in it.
1: So between the liberal and authoritarian systems that you're uh, talking about here, there is a different relationship with with transgression. Uh, I imagine it could also underpin Strategic threat that they pose to each other. In a sense, normative battles can be seen um, either with the promotion or the denial of transgression. So, in, in yeah, yeah, the, yeah, in, in the West having this culture of counterculture, uh, and then in authoritarian regimes where uh, transgression is completely unaccepted or denied.
0: And they can use this relationship with transgression. As you're saying, where I can imagine, for example, the West uh, inviting Chinese citizens to be transgressive, to rebel, you know, to fight for democracy, and create this—I don't know—perhaps some punk revolution in China. Mm-hmm. But also, I think we can see it happening the other way around. Uh, we see something like Russia that has this uh, very authoritarian aesthetics that is very appealing for many right-wing movements in Europe. Because uh, it says there should be one reality, which is the nation, etc., and uh, this is how it should be. Instead of everybody living their mm. degenerate lives, and many people <laughs> are actually attracted to that. But yeah, it's funny. It, it's actually it, it, very funny because these uh, you know right wing movements that uh, uh, are attracted to this idea they still do that in the spirit of transgressing against our liberal transgressive culture.
1: And because of that, um, in order to keep power centralized effectively, China has to reject alternate realities in which they're not the, the, the uh, executive force, with the state and the party are not the executive force in that reality. Because, and then that, that keeps them stuck uh, to this one interpretation, and I think an example of this uh, this difference could also be seen in our in the different relationships to the law itself. So, in an uh, an ideal authoritarian uh, uh, system, law would ultimately be there to protect you, because um, the central authority which dictates the law has to be the good, the in the right at all times. And then, by that same logic, crime always has this political element because. It's a transgression against the unity of, of the, the moral authority, of the good, of the state, uh, because the state is this paternal figure. Uh, but compared to that in the liberalism, uh, it's the opposite. You have to be protected from the law. You have to have lawyers. You have to teach people to, uh, to, to, to get out of it no matter what, because you know the law can change, and it's not always the moral authority. that that puts you in prison. You could have done everything right and you could still go up. And you you realize there's this arbitrariness when you don't accept any given truth, you see?
0: And this goes back to what you were saying, uh, that uh, laws are considered to be arbitrary in liberalism, uh, which is why in an authoritarian system, uh, the people can be cynical. We cannot imagine that people, as I said, are being blinded by some false reality. People can be cynical but they have to be cynical, cynical in their private life. So when interacting with the reality of uh, society, social reality, uh, they have to perform the belief. And I think one uh, very funny and extreme case would be in North Korea, when we see all the people crying, when they see uh, Kim Jong-un. And probably happened that one guy decided that he should start crying uh, to show how much he loves his leader. And now everybody has to do it before uh, because of this guy. So. He kind of raised the bar on that one. Uh, but uh, but they have to perform the belief socially, whereas in the West, uh, cynicism is actually public domain. So what that means is that uh, we cannot perform a belief. We have to perform a transgression, which uh, obviously seeing it from a meta level, it's still a form of belief and the idea of transgression.
1: Transgression has grown to have some kind of sterility, it seems, because you know, like, no matter how much you transgress, it's it doesn't actually make a, a revolution. Even a revolution is, is still just going to be subsumed again. But uh, as governments maintain some of these restrictions, some of these laws, it becomes absurd. And that just, again, validates cynicism in the system, but there's nothing else you can really do. Even if laws are arbitrary, at the end of the day, you still have to Go to work. You have to make money. You have to pay taxes, uh, around and around. Yeah. Um, and then once once when law has been changed and people are happy for a minute, the new transgression has to be found. Wherever we are, we're always in a reality or an ideological matrix, as you say, which defines our reality. The big question is, how do we bring about a change in our ideology when we don't even know? what's beyond it because it's the reality we always experience
0: yeah. if we actually want that change
1: well on that note we're bringing our conversation to a close today uh, this has been Nathan and Walter and no cheese Tire. man I'm not gonna let you poison me I threw it on the ground you must think I'm a joke I ain't gonna be part of your system man put that garbage in a the man's pain.